welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast featuring real conversations with conscious objectors to the status quo. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have Artist Fadul. Join us for a conversation about deconstructing society's narratives for our lives. Together, we talk about the elusive nature of queerness, learning to love ourselves in relationships, and throwing away the manual to create your own relationship garden. The psychedelic experience of non-monogamy and queerness. I think y'all are in for a treat with today's episode. And one thing that Fadul talked about was coming off of their SSRI to explore the benefits of microdosing, right? And there are a lot of different protocols to microdosing, right? Like the Fadiman protocol where you use it twice weekly or every fourth day. The microdosing institute every other day or the statement stack where you're doing four to five days on followed by three to two days off, right? There's a lot of different microdosing regimens. And so this is a really big area right now that we don't necessarily have the data or the research on to say for certain. People are trying 0.05 of a gram upwards to 0.3 of a gram and noticing what sort of benefits that they're getting from day to day. But yeah, we really just don't have the research on it. It's extremely underdeveloped at this point, but there is a psychiatrist, Dr. Ben Malcolm, the spirit pharmacist, who talks a lot about this and has a ton of resources on their own platform. I am not a psychiatrist, and that is not my area of expertise, and so I will direct you over to that arena. However, it has been interesting, I would say, to kind of like hear this conversation, at least in my friend groups of people who have come off of SSRIs and enjoyed the benefits of microdosing psilocybin. And it's interesting because Fadul said they were checking in about whether the SSRI was right for them based on their ability to enjoy music that they know they normally enjoy off of the SSRI. And I think that's actually a really interesting way to look at the medicine, right? I mean, we're always weighing a lot of factors in terms of whether these substances are helpful for us or not. And again, psychiatrists, not me, talk to them, right? But we do know that SSRIs and psychedelics have different targets within our serotonin system and they produce different effects, right? An SSRI will lead to diminished emotional sensitivity, right? That range of what we're able to feel is reduced. And I'm sure many of you could understand the possible benefits of that. Whereas microdosing often leads to that heightened emotional state, right? Which again, I'm sure many of you could see the benefits of and the potential risks, right? For both. It's just an interesting time to be navigating this area of novel science that is uh, coming out. And so I hope y'all, if you are exploring that, that you are finding a doctor that you can trust to have open and honest conversations about. And that's the most important thing, right? Being able to find a clinician that can assess the current data and the ways that we have been sold incorrect information about drugs and really take a curious approach to this experimental and novel area of the field that is coming out. So I hope all of you can find the resources to have that sort of support. And ugh, 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Fadul talked about how growing up there was this expectation to go to med school, but that never felt authentic to him. And I can just really resonate with that. I am a first-generation college student, so no one in my family had gone to college. So when you are trying to look out at a new world, a new possibility, you know, you only kind of see what's been shown to you on TV, especially when you don't have it in your own family, right? So that meant I was going to be a doctor of medicine or I was going to be a lawyer, right? Like those are the two options because apparently those are the only two career potentials in the world. Uh, But, you know, as a first-generation student, you just don't know, and you go down that path. And then eventually getting there, I realized that this path did not feel right to me. This path did not feel authentic to my soul and what I wanted to explore and do in my lifetime. And so getting off of that path to find a new one was difficult because that was the plan. This is what I was going to do. And now what do I do that I have to make a new choice to create my own path outside of the small limited possibilities that I thought beforehand? And As we talked about non-monogamy, I was just seeing so many similarities in the ways that as someone growing up watching, yeah, The Notebook, listening to Taylor Swift, and just like any rom-com, honestly, still to this day of the only possible way that I could do love and be happy would be in a monogamous marriage to a man. If we go back to my Christian days, right? Like that was the only way that this could happen. And it was impossible for me to dream of any other future because – There was none modeled to me. Like we know from psychology that stories and narratives, archetypes are so deeply important for what we can view for ourselves. Just like I couldn't view any job outside of being a doctor or a lawyer. And again, like great jobs. People love doing those jobs and monogamy is great for some people. And not everyone should be a doctor. Not everyone should be a lawyer. There are so many different other ways to live our lives and to create the relationships that bring us joy and bring us pleasure. And it can be just so hard because, yeah, there's not a single rom-com movie that I can watch right now that gives me that world, that shows me that possibility, that demonstrates a path forward for me to imagine, which means we have to do it on our own, which means we have to get creative. And there's so much joy in that. There's so much possibility. And I'm excited to talk to you today, dear listener, through this conversation about, yeah, creating our relationship gardens and some of the pieces that I have been unpacking and exploring in my own life in this fun and wild journey that is love and relationships and this very, very tender, sweet space that is this podcast, Modern Anarchy, that I share with you, dear listener, and have co-created with the guests that have come on this show who have trusted me to be vulnerable and to have these real conversations. So I'm thankful for you, listener, for tuning in and for sharing this podcast with the people that you love. All right, let's tune in to today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Do you have any questions for me before we get into anything? I I mean, I'm sure you've been asked this a bunch, just about, yeah, the origin story of this podcast. And 
I, I find that it's really interesting, actually, the approach of the previous person who's interviewed nominates the next person. So I mm-hmm. found that pretty interesting. Yeah, I guess like the origin behind the podcast as a whole, but then even more specifically, why that nomination process, if there's something you're trying to get from it or? Yeah, I think, I mean, the origin story would be being a feminist two years ago, going through grad school in the pandemic, just being frustrated about a lot of different things. I grew Mm -hmm. up very Christian. And so there are multiple parts of my identity that have not been accepted from my own family, right? So I feel like part of me wanted to bridge that sort of gap between their Mormon understanding of the world and my understanding of the world. Like, how could we get closer? How could we have conversations? I think that in terms of the nomination process, my lens existentially only puts me right here, right? And so I'm not always seeing other things, thinking about other things. So when other guests get to decide like where it goes, then Mm -hmm. the podcast is not so much just my lens and who I'm picking to come onto the show. It's a reflection of like a much larger collective in that way. Hi, fat cat. Hi. Mm -hmm. That's my cat. (laughs) Hello. I also meow. That's great. <laughs> and these days I've been enjoying it as like a theoretical space to also explore some of my like research passions um, in terms of I'm doing my work, uh, dissertation research in non-monogamy mm. and then my clinical work with psychedelics. Mm. Oh, cool. That's very relevant to kind of where my mind is right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell me more. Well, I kind of have been microdosing shrooms for the past what like I less than a month for sure mm-hmm. but yeah I, I don't know I'm just finding my own sort of rhythm with that and sure. yeah I don't know I feel like there's benefits to it and then I feel that there can also be some negatives but I think one thing that I have realized so far is that it feels really easy to just start and stop mm-hmm. I haven't really noticed any yeah I don't know that's kind of it's I I feel like I'm using it or not I feel but I'm pretty much using it as a replacement or an alternative to an SSRI where it's like yeah those have positives but then just personally for me I don't like what they've done for Mm me I've tried like different ones and Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah it's kind of just like I don't know I feel like one thing that I actually do always is it's like oh is this right for me uh by whether or not music still sounds good. Mm. <laughs> I, I, I had just had many moments in the club where I was just <laughs> it's like music is on and I just started an SSRI. And I'm like, is this for me? Do I like the music? I know as a fact, like this is music I would like, but yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, I had my own journey as well with getting off of SSRIs and navigating all of that. So It's quite the individual experience and journey. I'm glad you found something that's working for you. That's great. Yeah, no, definitely. And it's interesting because Laura kind of also told me that, you know, this conversation interview, whatever you call it, isn't really intended to be that traditional in a way. Yeah. It's so funny because she was mentioning like, yeah, you might end up just like making like, I don't know, animal noises at some point or something (laughs) or like, who knows? (laughs) <laughs> that's the, that was the intro to the podcast the you might end up making animal noises <laughs> I don't know just like yeah I guess basically that you're a very open-minded person is yeah. kind of the impression that I got Ooh. yeah yeah which is 
accurate and I hope to continue to foster that, right? So yeah, it should be a fun play space, theoretically. Let's get into it. How would you introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, okay, first off, my name. <laughs> uh, my name is Fadl Fakhouri. I'm an interdisciplinary artist. I have a very research-based practice, but more traditionally, my mediums are installation, performance, photo, and video. Yeah. Very exciting. I'm looking forward to seeing where all of our conversation goes today. I'm curious what your story is, you know, take me through, yeah, your journey. I'll start with my parents because that's really easy. <laughs> sure, sure. Go for it. My parents were raised in Palestine in the West Bank. Um, a town called Khalil, or also called Hebron. And they immigrated here in like the 80s, 90s. And yeah, and then I was born in San Francisco, which is where they immigrated to. And pretty much I stayed in the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area until 22, 23. I'm currently 25 and back in the Bay Area. Yeah, I mean, I basically was supposed to be a doctor. I did the whole biology thing, um, worked in healthcare. I was really good at it, did my undergrad at Berkeley. And then once I graduated, I just was left with this underwhelmed and overwhelmed at the same time by the fact that, you know, this is it. It's like, I have to do whatever, like healthcare, science, whatever it is for the rest of my life. And it felt very close-ended for me, mostly because I was pressured to do it. Yeah, versus with the arts, uh, it feels, I mean, it, not it feels, but it can go in so many different directions. I mean, I don't know. I feel like sometimes I'm too harsh on science just because like, <laughs> like you kind of traumatized me, but like, I, I actually do have a great appreciation for it. I think very scientifically when it comes to my artworks, I do a lot of sort of gathering data, variables, experimentation, and then expected results. Yeah, so that's, I, my brain still very much works like that. You found your groove now. You were saying that your parents moved to America. Was it just you or did you have any other siblings? Yeah. Or do you I'm, have any other siblings? Yeah, yeah um, I'm the oldest. Okay. Uh, I have a sister who's a year younger, and then I have a brother who is uh, three years younger. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So then within your own family, being the oldest, do you feel like there was a lot of pressure then to like you said to go into that doctor sort of profession? Yeah, I mean, there's always been a lot of pressure in so many different ways. It's very much a case of what, like reaction formation or something. So I end up doing the opposite. So sure. one would expect, oh, like the oldest son is going to be just like very traditional, like normative sort of roles. And then I'm actually the least normative <laughs> in the family. I'm like also the most silly. And that's kind of always been a thing. Um, I think for many people with many identities, this insecurity of trying to validate or have an authentic identity, you know, kind of like, oh, what do I have to do to maintain this security I have? And that ties to, for example, queerness. Yeah. Yeah. Are those various identities that you've experienced yourself in navigating the world? Definitely queerness in my own uh, relationship to that and I mean first off it, we all know that it wasn't 
it didn't carry the same connotation or meaning that it does today where you know before it was a slur and it's more like something that people claim and own and yeah I mean I've always been more of a fan of queer than anything else just because it is supposedly more elusive I I really hate being captured (laughs) you know um sure 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 sure. yeah yeah. it's also the label I like queer I've always liked it it felt expansive enough to be anything and everything and confusing and a little political and push it back right and that reclaiming as expansive and elusive and whatever you can be within language you know because anything that is named right it's going to be sort of like pinned down but if there was a way to just be (laughs) without being named I don't think that really I don't know that might be an interesting thing to discuss more like I feel like that doesn't really exist just because we have such a desire to know and there's such a discomfort with uncertainty Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uncertainty is one of our biggest fears, right? Change, all mm-hmm. of that sort of thing. But like, even if we have some sort of label like queerness, it, it never pins it down truly, right? Because mm-hmm. to some degree, like what I say as queerness and what you understand that word to be are completely different to some degree, right? And that's like the limited reality of any sort of language, right? If we really look at it and pinpoint it, like we're always stuck in our existential lenses to it. So it's like, even then there is no like queerness all across the board because everyone's going to have a different lens to seeing that and what that means, which is cool, right? And exciting. So I'm curious too. I mean, we're recording this, you know, it's June 1st. I know it will be released in August, but you know, happy pride. I'm curious. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I Uh, I keep getting the notifications and I'm just like happy LGBTQ plus one. Yeah. (laughs) I'd be curious if you'd want to talk a little bit more about your story to your queerness. And I, I feel like everyone has their own journey to that, but if you'd be willing to share, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, uh, my story's not the most fun. <laughs> That's okay. And if it's yeah. not, I will promise that there are other people who resonate with you and want to hear that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, full clarification, like I'm pansexual and I didn't really start identifying as that until what, last year or something? Sure. But it's really ironic because first off, like my story um, doesn't really involve like a crush or anything mm-hmm. I kind of I kind of wish that it did because that seems more romantic and fun I don't know I'm very like not aggressive with my flirting I'm sure. like the exact opposite and I just kind of want to do like nice things and whatnot but yeah I don't know let me know if this like makes sense to you basically it's just that like I I really don't know the words for this but okay. that's okay yeah yeah okay uh, well- Well, then take me even further back. Let's start from the very beginning. Like, yeah, your first, you know, sexual desires, your first expansion in that space. Like, where were you at? What were you experiencing? What was taught to you, right? What was the family structure, ideas and beliefs that were shared with you? You know, show me, Mm. show me your world. Mm. I mean, it's kind of always been just like, I don't know what's going on. (laughs) Like, like, mom, pick me up. (laughs) Like, like, (laughs) I don't know what's going on. Like, yeah, I I always just liked people as people. Yeah, I don't know. I kind of just like did what everyone else did, which was pretend to be straight. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. But always feeling like 
I was different and yeah I don't know I also for example I went to Sunday school which mm. is like it's interesting because I was raised Muslim um I'm not religious anymore sure I uh, haven't been actually like love was kind of my way of becoming less religious and whatnot but yeah I used to go to Sunday school and I always felt I was different and that I wasn't really like into the religion or into the rules or into whatever and that I was kind of just like trying to basically like get a good grade in mm -hmm. holiness mm. yeah I don't know I kind of just like kept that up for years and then it was in uh, college where I started thinking like wait a second I yeah. think I'm queer like mm. I didn't I, it just like happened to me to myself Looking backwards once I did realize that and I I feel like I still do that you know it'll be like maybe next year I'll realize like oh when I was doing that or like when that happened like that was totally because I'm queer right. um yeah sure <laughs> I, I feel like I'm just like a paradox in that I'll be at both ends of the spectrum in terms of guilt and shame yeah. or whatnot it's like oh yeah I should do this because it's fun but then at the same time it's like oh, I shouldn't do that because it's not allowed or mm. something. I, I just like allow myself to do things and then just like live with it, I guess. But Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. living into the answers, feeling into the answers, allowing space for you to navigate that, feel it all out. Yeah. I am curious, given my, you know, areas of expertise in sex and relationships, like what was your sex education like? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I grew up in the U.S. and like in California, in the Bay Area, like a very like liberal, so-called like progressive place. And yeah, I mean, I, I had sex education, like a class or two in. Yeah, I think it was in high school. Do you remember what they covered? Uh, Honestly, it, it's so funny because I feel like I can only really recall like three memories, which one is like a birthing video. And then one is like how to put a condom on. Yeah. And then what else could there be? Maybe a little bit on contraception okay. methods other than condoms. Yeah. What was the um, situation with the birthing video? Was it like to try and scare you? Or was it this sort of like, this is what could happen? Or was it like, this is what will happen? You know, that like intense yeah. fear. Huh. <laughs> it, it was kind of in the middle, I guess I would say. Like, yeah have sex but like be careful okay it wasn't like be abstinent it wasn't like that at all was that this within a religious context or a public yeah more liberal school I'd be curious too like what was the religious context at the time for mm. you right yeah because I did basically have like two educations uh, in adolescence right it's like but that that was more so for um yeah my high school like Monday through Friday um not the on the weekends um I don't think there there was never any discussion of it during Sunday school yeah yeah <laughs> yeah and, and if there ever was something that kind of touched on that or sort of like approached that topic a little bit then it was just like I use my hands a lot so I don't know if this podcast will like only be it's only audio, audio yeah right so it's like you can't what's yeah. the word it's like it's like we're not gonna talk about it yeah just like we're not gonna talk about it <laughs> like, yeah get that away from me type stuff. 
Sure. Because I went to a conservative Christian school, so then I didn't even get any sort of sex education. Like, I didn't get a birthing video or a contraception video or even the condom thing. Like, I never got the, like, let's put the condom on a banana. So then I only realized later that you, like, there's an actual orientation to the condom that you need to put it on the right way. Like, things that I just, you know, I didn't get that education. Where do people learn these things? Yeah. We actually, they gave out condoms at my high school, actually. But you have Wow. to go to like the office or something. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I mean, that's better. I mean, we were taught very much so like uh, abstinence only. You do not have sex. And even if you uh, got pregnant in my school, you'd get kicked out. Or what they would say is kindly ask you to leave. Mm. 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 There was um yeah, there was something my high school was very interesting actually because there was this sort of like mini school on the same campus and that was sort of like for the troubling not what is it like the kids that got in trouble yeah a lot like troublemakers that's the word and um so it was kind of just like kids that kind of got caught like doing drugs or like anyone who got pregnant was kind of like sent to this like random like little mini school I don't know I don't it's so weird how much stuff kind of just like goes like over your head when you're younger like it's such a weird structure yeah <laughs> um, maybe not the best structure yeah I don't know just yeah asking you know yeah no exactly it's very like uh ostracizing and isolating yeah mm-hmm mm -hmm, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. was queerness welcome within your school setting yeah I would say yes but there wasn't any sort of like explicit it was mostly like if it comes up then like don't antagonize it uh but what do you like mean there's Like if, so, if there's like a classmate or something that is queer, like don't bully the classmate got or it whatever. that's a good start we love that Yeah, there wasn't anything that kind of like emphasized sort of visibility or which is like a whole other like discussion too. Mm, interesting yeah so again yeah i'm hearing that it sounds like at your school is a little bit more liberal because queerness Yeah. was definitely not accepted Mm hmm. in my conservative christian school that would be a no i don't think i saw anyone who was publicly out about their queerness at my high school at all that was not a safe space for that Yeah, what was sort of the setup? Was it like a co-ed school yeah or it yeah? was Mm -hmm. it was a private christian school in southern california and yeah it was all co-ed and there was a range of people there some people that went just for the private school some people that specifically went for the christian fact of it and so but yeah i mean i had bible class throughout the week and then i had chapels throughout the week and then i'd go to youth group later at night and then have sunday service with the family you know so like it was it was everywhere and as a queer person myself like i definitely didn't know I was gay at that point in my life. Um, so that was a whole journey and a half, you know? Word. Yeah. Yep. It's a journey. Mm hmm <laughs> yeah. I'm curious about your experience where, you know, even though you go to this very like religious school, there are still opportunities outside of that for you to like, did you have opportunities? To explore my queerness. Yeah. Or kind of like, was it kind of once you got to were able to like leave home? Oh, yeah, once I was able to leave home and I went out to college in the Midwest and, you know, I was doing the sorority life thing and then, you know, you're drunk at a party making out with a friend and you're like, woo, 
you know? So like, I think there was space to do it then, but even the college I went to was religious. So there was still that undertone there. Um, even though, you know, in college there was probably a little bit more space. I mean, what I find fascinating is that I didn't have any idea when I was in high school, right? Mm -hmm. I was, I had seen, you know, movies and had responses in my body and other sorts of things, but I think there was so much cognitive dissonance going on in a world where I was taught that that was one of the most abominable things mm. I could do in my lifetime would be to be gay, right? Mm. And so like, I just think there was so much cognitive dissonance that I couldn't even like fathom that being a part of myself. And so, like you said, like it took being out, I, I guess it took alcohol enough to like mm. turn that my brain down enough to mm. explore it. And then afterwards kind of sit with that and then have to sit through all the decoupling of internalized homophobia mm. that was mm. so, 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 so deep that I, mm. I still think personally continues in some ways today. Like it's hard for me yeah. mm -hmm. to imagine a world like married to another woman because I can't imagine taking that woman home to my family, right? Like that's, mm it's just a part of the reality of living in that narrative when that is your space. So I'm still deconstructing it, you know? Yeah. It's, it's like that. Like we'll, we'll be deconstructing it for a while. <laughs> but, yeah. but I mean, yeah, it's definitely better now. I mean, personally for me, and I'm definitely assuming for you that it's definitely better than when it first, when you first yeah got that hint. Totally. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thinking about the things that or the way that I would think about it was just very like like phobic like in a way you know like sure yeah like looking back I'll think like oh my god I can't believe that I said that or like thought that which is like how a lot of the world thinks too which is like wrong <laughs> but like that to be uh that to be gay you have to be a bottom mm. <laughs> it's like one thing too or like yeah I don't know I'm trying me just like trying to pull out like more problematic thoughts that I used to have like oh sure <laughs> when I look back on my journey I, I I laugh uh I I remember being in college and we I was in this sort of bible class and we had to pick different topics that we wanted to debate upon in the class right and one of the topics was homosexuality which I was like oh yeah mm -hmm. like let me come in I know mm. the Bible, let me throw down the law and like show mm. them what's up. And so yeah. that is 100% the topic that I signed up for. And I got up mm -hmm. and I was like, yeah, the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin. It's very clear here, 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 and here, here. <laughs> uh, that sounds so traumatic. <laughs> like, <laughs> for no. the classmates or for me to have said it and then found out I was gay later. <laughs> right. Both. <laughs> Yeah. Uh. <laughs> no, well, I think that that I think is an interesting thing when we think about like cancel culture and other sorts of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Navigating that reality between like holding people accountable for stuff and also that like some people come through in a lens in a world that is reinforced by their community structures so much so mm -hmm. that they can even have deep internalized homophobia about their own identities and like yeah. just have no awareness and so how do we keep those people accountable in a restorative justice framework mm -hmm. without having to cancel and ostracize people but also hold them accountable for the real pain they cause beyond my pay rate my pay grade right yeah. <laughs> i mean for me it's kind of just like there's people, I mean, family, for example, and I'm just like, it's just like, like capacity too. It's like, do I have the capacity to deal with this right now? And then it's kind of just like, you know what, like maybe let me just like, I'll, that's not for me right now, yeah. basically. Yeah. 
it's interesting like back to psychedelics for example sure yeah throw <laughs> it like, yeah I mean like talking about my most recent trip yeah it was shrooms and mm-hmm. I remember there was this succulent and I was kind of like laying down near it and it was like pointy right and it was against my back and I was just like ouch like it because it hit me sure. I was just like you know what like I can't be mad at this cactus succulent thingy like it's literally just there like it's mm. it's just not for me <laughs> mm. you know that was that sort of like the an intro to that trip so that's so- something that I've kind of been trying to internalize more is just just because I'm not involved doesn't mean that like either of us are bad you know it's just like uh, just uh, thinking about compatibility and whatnot like we don't all have to be friends we don't all have to think the same thing just like don't harm me (laughs) but you know like in some ways us being together is harmful Mm. what do you mean by that or like there's different ways to figure out to be with each other Mm -hmm. so it's like there is a way I can exist with this cactus that isn't harmful Mm -hmm. which is space (laughs) don't touch me (laughs) cactus no (laughs) yeah but it's just like, it's just not for me right now. Or oh, totally. it's like, yeah. Does that make sense to you? Like- yeah. Yeah. That you had a, you had a profound moment on the medicine of this kind of reframe of how you interact with the world, right? Like this object's doing its own thing. I can do my own thing. And maybe I just go in a different direction. That sounds mm-hmm. like it was a powerful experience that you want to keep reflecting on and integrating into your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you experience this on shrooms is in consistently, I'll have these very sort of like foundational thoughts mm-hmm. while doing shrooms, thinking about the beginning of time or whatever. Mm-hmm. So just thinking about, oh, humans, like we exist at such a weird time in evolution. It's yeah. like we're animals, but then we're not allowed to be animals kind of things that are. And this is something that I try to tap on into my uh, art practice as well is either overperformance or underperformance. So for example, you know, thinking about this blanket or even thinking about a scarf being used for comfort, it's like, there's a limit, you know, like there's a limit to you merging with this object. Like if the scarf is too tight, then it's not even going to be comfortable sure. anymore. Sure. Yeah. Or even water, you know, too much water, you'll drown. <laughs> right. Yeah. Too yeah. much of anything is is mm-hmm. maybe not a good thing. I think as you were thinking, as you were speaking, I was thinking about the thought I've always kind of joked where I'm like, yeah, like you always watch, you know, I have a little cat. You saw my little cat mm-hmm. come up earlier. Like, you know, we'll giggle because we'll put a box out and then a cat will like hop into it and be like, oh, I like box. Right. And it's like, mm-hmm. we do the same thing as humans. Like here mm-hmm. I am. I am this, 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 this here are boxes to put me in of who I am and what I do and where I'm at in the world. Because like you said earlier, right, like the unknown, the unknown being so scary, the unknown the uncertain change, all those pieces. So we like to like pinpoint our narratives, our experience in these things that are static in these boxes and these various identities when maybe it's much more fluid than that. Mm. Mm. Just thoughts. Yeah, no, definitely. It's just how, for example, language is um, a compromiser. It's a sort of way of negotiating, like, uh, for example, identity, like how can a word speak to Uh, existence or I've been thinking about bell hooks a lot too actually with how she kind of starts off the book or very early on in the book she states that love is a verb Mm. yeah so it's kind of interesting too to think about that in terms of any sort of identity it's like uh doing and whatnot 
Mm, yeah. What does that mean to you? Love is a verb. How do you interpret that? Just to keep on putting in the work and putting in the actions and behaviors and whatnot. I'm curious, have you heard the word new relationship energy? Mm, uh, no, but I feel like I can tell what that sure yeah right 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 right. yeah within the um non-monogamous open relating community there's like this common term around that of like new relationship energy you know you might Mm -hmm. be in your stable relationships and then you meet someone Mm -hmm. new and then all of a sudden you're so excited so about them so in it right and it's Mm -hmm. it's interesting to talk about the neuroscience behind that of the various um chemicals going on in our brain that actually mirror cocaine so that it's like that new relationship energy is a drug right and you get Mm. so high up in it into it I was just um having an experience with that myself where I was like okay how do I be a responsible drug user how do I stay calm in my Mm. like super new romantic stage um Mm. because like the reality is that stage of excitement and all of that doesn't necessarily it transforms into a different feeling. And that's what I was thinking about when you were saying that love is a verb, right? You know, like, especially in that beginning stage of love and excitement and mm-hmm. rapture and all of that. It's so heightened and exciting. And yeah, you know, compared to maybe that stage of finding stability and finding security and then love being that choice of like, I'm going to show up for this person. I'm going to be here. I'm going to grow with you in that. Mm-hmm. And it very much so being a verb rather than this, transient feeling state that we have particularly at the beginning of a relationship Mm. yeah no definitely and um I'm wondering also about um you know when you keep doing something it gets easier Mm. like in certain relationships it'll feel like oh wow like I, I remember learning how much of a an effort uh relationships are I mean yeah. at the beginning you know and once you pass the whole like honeymoon stage or whatever like all this euphoria and then it's like you kind of come down to earth and it's like oh damn if I want to like keep those uh good feelings coming then I have to like put in work mm-hmm. and sort of uh or yeah, invest uh, yeah rather yeah, you have to invest time yeah um, t- certainly yeah because the work idea I'm like yes it is work in some ways but I guess I I don't necessarily see it in that frame mm-hmm. I don't see watering my plants as work. I guess I see it as an investment, right? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like more so work in the, I mean, it depends like what like definition you're using. Totally. Like, yeah. and, it, and it depends on the relationships, right? Like yeah. some, some relationships do quite literally take a lot of work. I would say that connecting with like kind of like we were talking about earlier, right? Relationships with maybe my family who's more conservative, like, mm-hmm that does take more work in my relationship to to check various parts of myself that might not feel safe to share various things that maybe they don't understand and like to still invest in that relationship does mm-hmm. take a lot of work and time and energy right so yeah but i but i guess I, what i'm saying too is that like my romantic and sexual relationships have felt like play they haven't felt like work lately so then that's the other piece of it all yeah when it's so new it Mm. feels like work in a way or like it just feels more scary and whatnot Mm. and then you like you keep doing it and then it's just you don't you forget that you're even doing it it just because like I can do this with my eyes closed type of situation right yeah that's been my experience with like jealousy a little bit I would say in terms of this process like you had said like things that get easier over time 
I'd say definitely in my relationships with um, open relating, like jealousy has been one of those things that has like significantly gotten better with time that Mm. I wouldn't have been able to predict, you know, a couple of years ago in that way. Mm. Yeah, I'm curious about what that looked like for you, because I feel that it's also gotten easier for me. (laughs) Sure. Yeah, I think that the first time that someone had mentioned non-monogamy to me, I was like, well, you don't love me enough. I was like, if you loved me enough, then you would want to be monogamous with me. And that's kind of how I started into this world. Um, And then eventually realized that I was having my own feelings for multiple people and kind of started to step into what that would look like navigating that space in a, you know, in open communication and dialogue. But Mm -hmm. I think that the first time that you do it i've definitely talked about this as its own form of psychedelic experience right if you Mm. have been raised in a reality where it's all monogamy it's all the romance of like you meet that one the one and the only Mm. one then to step on any sort of reality that is not the typical is i believe its own form of psychedelic experience so you Mm. can expect those same sorts of things when that first time that you have that experience where reality starts to bend and it's a little bit scary because we're like what's Mm -hmm. going on you know what i mean compared to maybe if you've had multiple times and psychedelic experiences and comfort with the different ranges of what those can be right like those that practice um really helps so i will say at first it was it was scary and it was a lot of like open conversations with my partner of what that meant and you know even noticing now there's still times where like it brings up certain things in my body and I'm able to like breathe through it and talk about it. And now my metamor, my uh, Mm -hmm. partner's other partner is like one of my closest friends and Mm -hmm. that's magical. I could have never thought that that would happen in this journey. Yeah, no, exactly. Also just because I I used to kind of have this sort of approach where I would be more like solo poly or just kind of like Mm -hmm. single in a way. And then like, oh, I would catch feelings, fall deeply in love. And I was just like, ah, I want you for myself or like, I want to offer myself to you. And then I had this really real awakening where I kind of just realized you can't even possess in monogamy, you know, like we're all free to do what we want to do. Or like, you kind of just have to trust, for example, that people aren't going to hurt you. Mm -hmm. Or I was like driving the other day I mean this is like such a dramatic example but like I was driving the other day with a friend and it's kind of just like oh the trust that like for example that like one of us is not gonna like fuck with this driving like make like you know like like we just trust that like no one's gonna like pull the wheel suddenly or something like super Mm -hmm. dramatic like when I had you know you don't do you ever have these like random thoughts that are just like the worst thing like like it's just like a possibility that like your brain calculates like yeah please don't do that (laughs) right absolutely yeah yeah that's sort of like worst case scenario yeah and I think for me like I I am a total romantic in 110 (laughs) different ways right and like I I hold space for the beauty and the sacredness of a monogamous contract that people a sacred contract that people embark upon together and the beauty and the richness of that I will say for me, it like, I don't think that possession is the highest form of love. Mm. I will say as a romantic, it's scary, right? Like, because the person could leave, but like you said, in Mm. monogamy, they could leave at any point as well. Mm -hmm. So within that framework, you know what actually feels really good to me? 
the reality that my partner is a bird that is not in a cage and my partner could fly around the whole world and have mm -hmm. any partner that they want in their life because they have that freedom and you know who they choose to spend time with every week mm -hmm. me yeah. and every time that they come to see me it is free and it is not because we've made some sort of like forced commitment in that way even though obviously we do have commitments to one another that are beautiful in terms of like promising to be there for one another and whatever shape our relationship takes over the years in terms of sexual romantic platonic like that sort of commitment there is so beautiful but yeah it feels to me that feels super romantic i don't know i think mm -hmm. we i think we need a new open relating romantic framework which to me is that mm -hmm. yeah my partner is choosing me yeah exactly i mean that's kind of the this is kind of um an ironic thing that like happened to me where I was worried like back when I really wanted to like both possess and be possessed is sure. that, you know, we were we basically were monogamous before in that like we were spending all of our time with each other and only with each other. And then I, I still felt like, you know, like, why don't why don't you just like say it or like, you know, like, why don't we just like say that we're like in a closed relationship or like, let's close this. And it's just like it kind of like by action or behavior or whatever, it already like was closed in that case you know and then um even thinking beyond that it's like if you're in a, a non-monogamous relationship or you're poly or what whatever it is you want to say um that you it, it is like always closed in a way if that makes sense mm -hmm. like like, like I mean that not not necessarily closed but like there's a trust like you are bonded mm -hmm. to each other you are attached to each other like um yeah think about your best friend right like yeah, you, exactly. you have a commitment to them mm -hmm. that has maybe been unspoken in some ways right like you trust your friends are going to be there without having to have this sort of you're my only best friend and only yeah. and no one else can touch you and like yeah. the ownership thing like that's where kink comes in for me because I'm like yeah mm -hmm. own me let's play with that right. let's go there let's do all of that right like yeah. and I and I like to play with that right like we have a very um fun dynamic with one of my partners we're like that is 100% what we do like I like mm -hmm. to feel like his object I like to feel mm -hmm. like his owned possession that he can walk around and parade around his his thing and like I love that and also I have the freedom at any point to go explore whatever I want with anybody else. Yeah. So it's like mm -hmm. the yes and to that of like, I want to feel owned and I am in some ways and also absolutely not in any ways at all. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, non-monogamy is such a good way to unlearn feelings of shame. Yeah. That's something for me that, and I'm still working on it because <laughs> that's like, that's going to be a process and whatnot. But yeah, it's nice to just feel that my feelings aren't wrong <laughs> and that right. they're literally like the feelings that I have to be attracted to more than one person is just like everyone <laughs> like for I mean not everyone but like you know like it's a very common very 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 common feeling and it's nice to not feel some sort of shame like how right. I used to not even look at other people because I'm like I can't right now like <laughs> you know this is 100% the romance myth, right, that has been perpetuated that, 
you know, when you fall in love, you only have eyes for one other person, one Mm. other person, no one else. You're so enwrapped. You're so excited. And I think as a society, as a culture, we're starting to deconstruct that more and hold space for the reality that like, yeah, other human beings are art. And I want to be able to go out and whether you do it monogamously, right, or open relating, right, because you can acknowledge beauty and sexual attraction with other people and choose to maybe not spend your time and energy there because the reality is of open relating you're diversifying your time and energy across multiple people and some people might not want that Mm -hmm. however coming to a space where we can normalize the reality that other people are attractive you're going to have crushes on them and then you get to decide what you want to do with that Mm. that's huge for society and i think Mm. it's important to continue to talk about that because a lot of Mm. people like you said will have shame if they're in this like Mm. super loving relationship and they have attraction for someone else like oh no does it that that is a hundred percent what has been in every like rom-com and all the bullshit media that says the second you love someone else those like tumblr quotes the second Mm. you love someone else you should leave because you never loved the first one really and i'm like (laughs) oh my god (laughs) yeah no it's just it's so toxic and yeah Yeah. it's like i don't want to hate on monogamy (laughs) like you know because it's right it's it's beautiful monogamy is beautiful when that's what people are choosing and wanting to do right like (laughs) there's so much sacredness to deciding that you're gonna focus all of your energy all of your sexuality to one person Mm -hmm. however that's not the greatest thing for all people some people really enjoy a world where they're able to explore find out different parts of themselves and Mm -hmm. you know you could have one best friend your whole life and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like that's how some people live, like in complete solitude, enjoying one best friend. (laughs) However, that is not the life I live and I have multiple best friends and I learn parts of myself in these different relationships, including Mm -hmm. the sexual ones. I'll have Mm -hmm. some dynamic with one person that brings out a part of myself that has never come out in my other dynamics, just like our friendships. And we have other Mm -hmm. friendships that bring out parts of us. So Mm -hmm. it's like, there's nothing wrong with having one best friend, but maybe that's not the life you want to live. And you've been sold a model that said that's the only way to do this. And so, yeah, hence here I am talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. 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 There's, I feel like there's so many things to talk about and more, but. How has your journey been with polyamory? Uh, I mean, it's, I'm still learning to, to be honest, like I haven't been, uh, and I don't know if I ever will be in, um, like two relationships or like two, what is it? Like having two partners at once or like two, I mean, uh, just cause of like time and whatnot. Sure. Relationships. Cause you're, I would assume you probably have multiple relationships in your life by relationships. Mm-hmm. Do you mean like sexual and romantic? Yeah. Yeah. I okay. mean, I'm still like, yeah, it has to do with like time and commitment and cause yeah. I want to be fully present for people and give them my all it's just like in this time of my life, I want to dedicate a lot to my art. Yeah, I feel the <laughs> same. Know? I feel yeah. the same way with grad school and the dissertation and the podcast. I'm like, y'all, I have a relationship with a podcast. Like, no, literally, yeah. <laughs> I got to show up every week to that date, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I mean, also, and my relationship with myself. But totally. it, it's interesting, too, because I've I've learned that you can build a relationship or a positive relationship with yourself or like, for example, learn to love yourself by being in love with other people. 
you know psychology would be like yeah that is how we form a sense of identity is through our relationships so like yeah no but it's it's interesting because I feel that a lot of us are told that you can't love anyone else until you love yourself and it's just like how is that even possible like how are you going to learn even to like this sort of like language of love basically if you're not speaking it well totally that's where we can deconstruct the idea of like a western concept of self which is so Mm -hmm. individualistic it is so like you are the individual figure out who you are and like we could definitely blame the patriarchal field of psychology for creating that sort of reality right right here's a diagnosis place it on the person all that sort of stuff but the reality is like we our sense of identity is shaped through all of our different relationships including our relationships to like a higher power society family friends like we internalize those and then mm. that's who we are and how we move through the world so like all of this language of like yeah you need to learn to love yourself first i i feel like the intention is is good right that like there's maybe parts of ourselves that need healing which you do in relationships by the yeah. way whether <laughs> i say that's in a capitalistic therapeutic model or community so like how are you going to learn to love without those relationships however <laughs> It's like I I see the intention there of like learn to love yourself so that you're not putting so much of your self worth into the other people, right? Learn Mm -hmm. to see who you are as a beautiful Mm -hmm. gift to humanity. But it's also like, like you said, the way Mm -hmm. that we learn how to do that is when your whole community looks at you and says, Mm -hmm. you're valuable, you're worthwhile. Because if you Mm -hmm. grow up in a home where everyone looks at you and says you're a piece of shit and wrong, Mm -hmm. how are you supposed to love yourself? And that's also where we can talk about society, right? Thinking about pride queerness Mm -hmm. all of that right like if society says you're worthless and all that stuff to look at that person be like wait till you love yourself to find community like no no Mm -hmm. we're all suffering with someone who came in with some sort of negative message that we weren't enough that we were wrong and so it takes literally quite literally takes relationships to change that but all of this is a relationship where they mean romantic sexual right and this is where I start to feel really big disconnects with like mm-hmm. the society or like people who just say yeah like a relationship because I'm like which one do you mean because we have so many mm-hmm. you know? yeah that's why like I get lost <laughs> with the terminology sometimes yeah but yeah because <laughs> yeah. it's yeah. like yeah because everything is a relation like you have a relationship to everyone and yeah. yes <laughs> yeah that's the frame, right? That's the shift. People starting to think in that way of like, oh yeah, this is a relationship. And like you said, they take time and energy, right? So like thinking about, you know, this is your garden. Like how much do you want to pour into this relationship and it will grow accordingly. Maybe you have a cactus friend, you know, who's like super chill, doesn't need lots of watering, you know, like you get to make your garden and like, what do you want to plant? And so, you know, build. Mm It's exciting. I I find it exciting. I find this so exciting, this world where people can build these relationships that make them happy instead of trying to, one of my guests has used the um, idea of like a Lego manual, right? Like taking Mm. out the Lego manual to say like, here's all the blocks. What do you want to build? And that's scary Mm. because then it's like, well, there's no manual, Nicole. How am I supposed Mm. to do this? What am I supposed to do? Where am Mm. I going to be in 60 years? Right? It's like, Mm. you get to make that reality. Yeah, and also just living in the present, but, you know, making sure that you can get to the future. Yeah. Yeah. Right, which is tricky because you can't think too far ahead, right? Like, then we can get into, like, Buddhist things, like, you Uh know, staying in the present moment, but, like, planning. It's just, oh, yeah, there's so much there. Mm, Yeah. It sounds like you're deconstructing a lot and exploring lots of new things. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I I could I'll continue to deconstruct because things are always being constructed. I'll continue yeah. to construct and deconstruct. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's probably going to be our lifetime, right? Until we're 80 one day, still deconstructing the ways that society is affecting us, right? Doing and undoing. Yeah. Yeah. I want to hold some space for in case we didn't hit on anything that maybe you wanted to share or talk about today. Mm. Otherwise, I have a closing question I ask all of my guests. Yeah, I guess just... um an announcement about an exhibition sure that, go for it. it yeah yeah but yeah I mean I've never been to Chicago uh, I'll be part of an exhibition called double blessings at the roots and culture contemporary art center in Chicago and so either opening August 4th or 5th um you can send me the link and then yeah <laughs> it, it will be in the show notes so right. that way everyone can find it linked down cool. below yeah, so first or second week of August till first or second week of September. <laughs> Exciting. Well, congrats yeah. <laughs> on that show. And I, I really hope you enjoy Chicago. You'll have to uh, make it out to the lake and yeah. get some time out in our beaches out here and enjoy yeah. it. No, definitely. Yeah. I'm trying yeah. to go to Smart Bar. <laughs> hey, Smart Bar. Yeah, I recently celebrated the end of my semester there with a oh, dance cool. or two in that hazy fog. <laughs> yeah, I, it's just so it's interesting because there's all these different sort of like clubs around the world that you just hear about. And it's just like, it sounds like it's still popping. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's popping. I yeah. didn't know it was one of those like more famous. Yeah, there's a lot of um, dance and like music, which is and house music, which is really fun in that space. Mm -hmm. And I've had a good time many a times on that dance floor. <laughs> oh, yeah, I hope I will too. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I will ask you, what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? Hmm. I don't know. I feel like sometimes I'm such a freak. It's like, what is normal? <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. What is, what is normal? I think just that literally every single person is self-conscious in a way. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I mean, we have to be like conscious of the self to be able to like do anything, I feel. So like people that are on stage, for example, like they're nervous, like everyone's literally nervous. So yeah. it's just like, I feel like the, the disconnect, the, like you kind of have to like do a disconnect in that. Uh, point where it's like yeah I'm anxious about going on this stage or being in front of people or whatever but you kind of just have to like keep doing it until it doesn't feel that way anymore and just yeah. it's, it's basically exposure therapy right so right like, especially me because I do a lot of performance work and so it's like I will get nervous and I mean less so than before but literally like everyone is nervous oh, <laughs> like literally yeah. everyone is nervous like everyone's anxious and like worried no matter how confident they seem so it's like do the thing <laughs> do the thing you want to do even if you feel anxious about it yeah yeah and also people forget you're not going to do so bad the worst that you can do I feel is like be underwhelming like, right right like absolutely like fuck up and like right like that's not gonna happen <laughs> right yeah the uh, race the research shows that people tend to remember the beginning and the end of the experience right. so whenever i'm teaching yoga and i like mm. mess up and have something i'm like it's okay nicole they're gonna remember the beginning and the end so finish strong <laughs> right and i think that um yeah everyone wants to be loved right and everyone wants to be accepted so anytime yeah someone's stepping up onto that stage like we all humanly have the worst fear of being rejected. And so like mm -hmm. we can get nervous and in that, and I think 
as someone who, you know, is working in therapy with clients, like being able to hear how many other people feel the same way as someone myself who has struggled with social anxiety. Yeah, it has been so eye-opening, yeah, to realize how many other people feel the same way. And then when I am personally in spaces, I try to remember that intentionally of like, yeah, everyone's feeling the same thing. Like I can relax, like everyone is feeling the same like level of self-awareness, self-consciousness. And in that, that provides me some peace with the experience to know that, yeah, I'm not the only one feeling this way. So I don't have to continue to spiral down it. Right. Cause it's that first thought of like, oh no. And it's like, oh no, I'm having the thought. Oh no. Oh no. No, it won't yeah. stop. Right. And it's like, yeah. ah, you know, and it just keeps going compared to that mm-hmm. like first moment of like, yes, I have that thought. I know why I have that thought because I want to feel safe, loved, and everyone else has this thought, right? And like, then I go a completely different direction and then I'm dancing on stage, you know? Mm. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And you just go go dancing on stage. (laughs) Exactly. And that's how we dance. (laughs) Well, it was lovely to have you today. Where would you want to plug? I know you mentioned your show, but is there anywhere else you'd want to plug so that people can find your work and connect with you? Yeah, I mean, Instagram, that's like the artists linked in basically. Yeah, these days, right? <laughs> yeah, you can follow me at, at F-A-D-L-F-A-K-H-O-U-R-I. And that's also my, yeah, my portfolio website's there too, like fadilfakhouri.com. I think that's it. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast and having a conversation with me today. Yeah, and thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, thanks for going with the free flow. Energy. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast and head on over to modernanarchypodcast.com to get resources and learn more about all the things we talked about on today's episode. I want to thank you for tuning in and I will see you all next week.